0: In today's modern society, just how important is faith? How can we know that God really exists? And if he does, does he even see what's going on in the world? Or care? If so, why do bad things happen to good people? Is it some kind of test? If bad things happen, Does it mean something's wrong with us? There are so many different religions in the world. Is one better than the others? Or are they all the same? Why should we trust the Bible in our day and time? How do we know that this book written centuries ago is accurate and relevant for us now? If it doesn't make any difference what we believe, then. Why believe? These questions are important. Let's talk about it.
1: Well, it's so good to see all of you. Has anybody noticed that it's warmer? Anybody noticed this? I've been wondering. I thought this was Houston, and we've been sub-freezing. What is, what is the deal? But it looks like it's coming back, right? It's a little bit warmer outside. We're in a series entitled, Why Believe? and in the series we're dealing with the questions that people really grapple with about the whole issue of Christianity the whole issue of God and we're trying to get at the heart at some of these questions so that we can help some people work through the answers and last week we talked about of all things we talked about how can i know that god really exists I don't know whether you were here last week, if you weren't, I wish you'd go online and listen to the message. Usually what happens is that that, uh, about Monday or Tuesday, the message on Sunday gets on the website, but last week that didn't happen, and the reason is because two of our guys that do that... We're both on a mission trip, but they're back now and last week's will be online and this and today's will be online and I hope that you'll not just go yourself, but you'll point some other people that are struggling through some issues, you'll point them to the website and maybe maybe it will help. Last week we talked about how can I know that God really exists, but today I want to talk about what is the hardest one of all. Why do bad things happen to good people? Lee Strobel is one of the great apologists of our day and it is amazing because right now in the time we live, more than anything I've, I've ever even heard of, God is raising up brilliant men and women who are coming as apologists for this day and I'm so grateful. Now, an apologist is not somebody who apologizes. An apologist is a person who gives a defense for the faith, a defense uh, for the faith about God, about the truth about God, and presents logical and reasonable, understandable answers to the questions that people have about God. Apologists are that. And Lee Strobel is one of the strongest apologists of this day. The interesting thing is that Lee Strobel was an atheist, and a passionate atheist. But Lee Strobel came to faith in Christ, and the most amazing thing, he was a, an investigative reporter for the Chicago Tribune. He was especially gifted at investigating things, and he made the decision on his own to investigate Christianity, quite honestly, to tear it down. And he knew, he came to know at least as he was going through his, his exercise, that that if you can discredit the resurrection, if there is no resurrection of Jesus Christ, all of Christianity falls like a house of cards and so he went after what is the heart and soul of Christianity. But what he discovered in his investigation that the arguments for the resurrection are so strong and the arguments against the resurrection are so weak and he was amazed, he was shocked by it as an atheist. And in the course of all of that, he came to believe in Jesus Christ. And this passionate atheist came to know Christ as his personal Lord and Savior, and his whole life has been changed since. He wrote a book called The Case for Christ. And the idea of The Case for Christ is simply as a, as a former atheist, you're thinking along the line of an atheist, you'd love this, this book, because he takes you through his own personal journey. If there is somebody that you know that is struggling with this whole thing about God and about Christ and all of this, hey, buy the case of for Christ for them and pay them a hundred dollars to buy to read it. Whatever it takes, get them to read this book because it is a life changer. The case for Christ. Well, Lee Strobel asked George Barna, who is a national a poll list, if he would do a scientific national poll on a particular question that Strobel wanted him to do, and here's basically the question. If I could ask God one question and I could know, I could be assured He would give me the answer, what question would it be? Did you know the the outstanding, overwhelming winner of that poll was Why is there such injustice? Why is there so much suffering in the world? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why does it happen? I want to talk to you about that today. This is not a theological question for a whole lot of people sitting in this room today. This is the cry of your heart This is not just some uh, 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 different question to be answered. This is what you are asking God, crying out to God. Oh, God, why am I going through this? Why am I experiencing this in my life? Some of you are walking through such deep waters and such great loss and such deep pain. I know what it feels like to be in pain. I've been in pain. But compared to what you're experiencing, it's not the same. And I know that. And there are many in this room, oh, God, please tell me. Please help me to understand. I remember the first time that I really grappled with this whole issue of pain and loss and suffering in a major way in my life. And it was when I, my my aunt and uncle and cousin Died in a boating accident in the Chesapeake Bay. My cousin, Billy, was just a year younger than me. He and I were great friends, and he was a year younger than me. And he had just come to know Christ as Savior, maybe a year or two years before. And boy, he was on fire for the Lord. He loved God. He was telling everybody about God. And then I hear the word that Billy is dead. And I couldn't believe it. I said, God, why him? Why now? I've sat beside so many people in my role as a pastor who are going through deep pain and loss and hurt and weeping. And people that are drawing their last breath and they're going into eternity. And I can't do anything about it. I haven't ever been able to change anybody's situation. And I've asked the question just like you've asked God, why? why this person, why now? now? I'm not pretending to you that I have all the answers because I don't. There's a whole lot of questions I don't have the answers for, and I'm telling you that straight up. I, don't, I can't even answer all my own questions, much less all of your own questions. I do believe they're answers, and I believe that with those questions, I can't find the answers for. The moment that I see Jesus Christ, He'll be able to answer them. And I'm living by faith between now and then on those issues. But the Bible does present answers, and I want to present the answers that the Bible presents, knowing it won't answer everybody's questions. I know that there are some of you in this room who are really hurting, and I know that there are people, this is the reason that they get so mad at God. This is why some people have so left the faith out of anger and resentment of God because I know it. I don't want that to be you. I'm going to do my very best today to take what the Bible does say about answers, legitimate answers to these issues, and I'm asking you to hear, to hear it out. So what does the Bible really say? It doesn't dodge this, this, this problem. It answers it straightforward. The Bible admits life is not fair. It says it straight out. Life is not fair. It makes this statement, innocent and powerless people are abused. By others Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 1 look again I looked and I saw all the oppression that was taking place under the Sun I saw the tears of the oppressed and they have no comforter power was on the side of their oppressors and they have no comforter and twice Solomon says I know they have no comforter. It's not that no comforter exists. It is that people will not stand for those and and put themselves out for those who are going through hard times. They should, but, oh, I don't want to get involved. I won't go up against the power. They won't stand for another person, and the person suffers alone. The Bible also says that wrong people seem to succeed, Ecclesiastes 8 and verse 14. There's something else, righteous men who get what the wicked deserve and wicked men who get what the righteous deserve. How fair is that? It's not fair. Over this last week, I finished going through the book of Job, not in preparation for this message, but in my own quiet time, and I finished Job. And as I was going through Job, and I was hearing what Job was saying, Oh, God, why? God, why am I suffering? Oh, God, why are you letting this happen? And over and over he cried out to God, and others would come and accuse him and all this sort of thing. The Bible's so honest about this, and God does deal with that issue with Job. You read Psalms and one after another will talk about this. Oh, God, please help me. God, why aren't you helping? Why aren't you answering me? Life is not fair. In the 20th century, we learned more about science, made more scientific breakthroughs than all of human history put together. All the scientific things that were discovered in all of human history, you put it all together and it's just a little sliver of all the breakthroughs that science made in the 20th century. But the 20th century was the greatest century of suffering, human suffering in human history. Two world wars, the holocaust, the devastating famines in Africa, the emergence of AIDS and other diseases, suffering at the greatest height of scientific discovery, the greatest height of human suffering. I'm just saying science isn't the answer. I love science. I absolutely love science and I'm grateful for science. It just doesn't answer all the issues. So what does the Bible say about this issue? Let's talk about it. As we get started, I want to make this statement though. I want you to understand that God did not create pain and suffering. God allowed evil, but He did not create evil. If there's anything that we learn from the first three chapters of Genesis, it is certainly that. You say, can God wipe out suffering? Yes, in a second, a snap of a finger. Yes, He can, but you would not like. What would then be the result? What do I mean? God allows injustice because of His desire to give us freedom. The Bible says that we were created in God's image. And a whole bunch of what it means to be created in God's image is about the word relationship. It gave us the opportunity to have a relationship with God, to have a deeper relationship with each other, with with the nature that God has given to us, with even in ourselves. All of this is part of the image of God. But part of the image of God is the freedom of God to choose, the freedom to choose. God did not make us robots. He did not make us pre-programmed computers. He did not make us puppets so that everything that we do, well, that was just pre-programming by God. No, God gave us a choice. God understood that we need to choose good because we choose good, not because we're programmed for it. We need to love each other and love Him because we choose to love Him, not because we're pre-programmed to love Him. If I am just pre-programmed and I'm just living out the program, what does any of that mean? Nothing. Without choice, there is no genuine love. But anytime there is choice, There is the ability to choose wrong. So which one do you want, freedom or the absence of evil, freedom or the absence of suffering because you can't have both? The truth is the price for freedom is the ability to do wrong, make wrong choices, and with those wrong choices comes suffering. People make wrong choices that results in suffering. Suffering oftentimes, not all the time, not all the time, but suffering oftentimes comes to us because of our choices, our decisions, and the choice of sin, the choice, wrong choices of evil in our lives. And then when suffering comes as a result of that, we blame God for that. Is that fair to blame God for what it is we chose? There are great, great parents in this church. I'm amazed by the, the number of incredible families and incredible parents in this church. You give so much of yourself to your kids. You, you pour so much of your life out to your kids. you got to be exhausted. Sometimes there is no sense of, I've, I don't have enough energy for the demand. Don't have enough resource for the demand, but still you keep giving and giving. And you have taught your children. You've trained your children. You've tried to live out God's Word in front of your children. You're perfect. There's no such thing as perfect parents. But you're doing your very best. And then when your children grow up to be adults and they make wrong choices and they go in wrong directions and they choose wrong evil things or wrong directions about God or about life? Is it your fault? No. There is a point in time in which this child that grows up now has to stand as an adult on their own two feet, and they make their choices, and they are responsible for those decisions. And in the very same way, is God responsible for the wrong choices we make? The answer is no. We are. And the truth is, there are some decisions that we make in which we actually injure innocent bystanders. And all of us have made choices in which we ended up hurting other people in our life. They did not do wrong. We did wrong. But they were pulled into our sin and our wrongful choices. A guy drinks alcohol, then gets in a car and drives, and as he's driving another family is coming down the road from the other direction, they're not doing anything wrong, and he runs right into them and injures or kills them. Is that their fault? No. What I'm saying is is that the freedom of choice means that when we make wrong decisions we injure ourselves, but not just ourselves, we can also injure others. And the reason is because we are not, any of us, on an island by ourselves. We are in community, and our wrong choices hurt innocent people around us. And sometimes the innocent people are us. And the wrong choices of others now injure us. One guy did some kind of a study, I don't understand all of it, but he came to the conclusion that in his estimation, 95% of the suffering that we go through has to do with wrong choices by people. Either us or others, we're innocent bystanders, or we made the wrong choice. 95% of the suffering in our life, I don't know whether that's the number. If it's 90 or 70, I don't know what the number is. But a great amount of the suffering that you and I go through is because of the decisions we've made or others have made and we're the innocent bystander. Even many natural disasters can happen because of our choices. Take famine for instance. The United Nations suggests in their study that one out of every nine people in the world go to bed every night undernourished. And yet, there is not a lack of food in the world. And in fact, what, as the study has shown, is that there is enough food in the world for every human being in the world to get at least 3,000 calories every single day, more than we need. And yet, one out of every nine people in the world go to bed undernourished. So why? Well, the answer is, is that there are a whole lot of people who have more than they need and they hoard it. And a whole lot of those are us. The United States have seven, has 7% of the population of the world and we consume 50% of the resources. Some of it is us. In North Korea, there are thousands and thousands of people that are dying literally of starvation. Not because they don't have enough food in the country, but because of the regime that is there in, in North Korea who are, in essence, killing their own people. This is what I'm talking about. Political wars have caused starvation in Ethiopia. Misuse of the environment has caused floods in Bangladesh. Choices that people make have created what we call sometimes natural disasters, but they're really man-made. There was a guy who said, I prayed to God, and I said to God, God, why are you allowing so many people to die of starvation? And he said, God said to me, I was about to ask you the same question. It doesn't mean that every natural disaster is because of human activity. I want you to know, I'm going on record to say to you, I did not cause Hurricane Harvey. I am not to blame for the hurricane, and I'm just telling you right now. It doesn't answer all the questions, but it does answer many of the questions that a whole lot of what is happening in our life and around the world can be tied back to the decision, the freedom of choice. And without it, though, would we even want to live? Our freedom of choice is tied to a whole lot of our suffering. But the second thing is this, God didn't create pain, so that he, but He does allow pain to produce a greater good in our life. James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4 says this, Dear brothers and sisters, whenever trouble comes your way, let it be an opportunity for joy. For when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be strong in character and ready for anything. What God is saying is is that though God did not create evil, He can use it. He can use evil. He can use suffering. He can use pain for good in our lives, to grow us, to deepen us, to build within us what could not have been built any other way. He can make pain beneficial to us if we will let Him. We always learn more from pain than we ever do pleasure. We learn more from failure than we ever do success. It's in the tough times of our life that our character actually grows the most. I know that this illustration may be a little bit dated, so I'm admitting that up front. I don't know. Maybe it's not. With a digital age, I don't know. In photography, when you take a picture, you're actually taking a negative. Now that negative can't be translated into a picture until the person goes into a dark room and there they shine light into, through the negative, onto photographic paper and then it becomes a positive. It becomes a picture. And in the same way, There are times in which you and I, as we're living life, and it isn't a decision we made. It's not a choice that we're we're paying for. It is just life itself that we experience some hurtful, negative, deep wound, deep loss. And if we will go into our dark room and we will allow the light to shine through the negative, God can turn it into a positive, and that is not a trite statement. I've lived that out. I know that's true. God can create a positive in your and my life if we're willing. But the issue is we have to be willing. We have to be willing to respond to the negative situation in a positive way. Every noble characteristic of our life, came through pain, every one of them. Let me ask you a question. Let me just ask a question here, and I'm asking you to respond. How many of you in this room would love to have even more courage than you have? You would love to be a, a person of courage. How many of you? Just uplifted in. I would too, and all across the room. I, want, I think I've got some courage. I want more courage, but the only way courage comes is with fear and danger, is in the moment of fear and danger where we make decisions that are right decisions. The only time that perseverance comes is in disappointment and heartache, in which we choose right decisions and in fact every single characteristic that is a noble characteristic of our life, all of them come from pain and suffering no matter what they are. And the same thing was true for Jesus. The same thing was true for Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8, listen to what he says. Even though Jesus was God's Son, He learned. Did you know this? Even though He was God's Son, He learned to be obedient through His suffering. In the last year that my father lived, he was in pain literally 24 hours a day. And though they could give him some pain medicine, they couldn't give him the dose needed to alleviate all the pain, he knew that it was going to be life for him for the last year. There were. I tried to go and see him and my mom as often as I could, and I would go on Friday, I mean on Thursday noon or so, and I would drive as hard as I could. It takes about eight or nine hours to get to their house. I would drive as hard as I could. I would spend just a little bit of time all the way to the next noon, next day noon, and then I'd get back in my car and drive all the way back. And that is how I got to spend as much time as I could with my parents because I had, had to get back for Sunday. And one of those trips, my father was in the hospital. He was in so much pain. He, he just, my father, um, pretty tough guy, but he just had tears coming down. He was just in so much pain. And he said to me, Mark, I, I don't even know. I don't know how to keep going. He was in so much pain. And they couldn't stop it. And he was a pastor, and I'm a pastor, and we talked about this. Well, what, you know, what is it? What, why is, why is God allowing this in my life? And we talked through it. And one of those, in that particular instance, and we were in the hospital. We looked at this passage of scripture, verses before and after verse eight of Hebrews five, but this verse in particular, and we talked about it for an hour. Even Jesus went through this. Even Jesus learned obedience through suffering we walked through it we talked through it he became very quiet and I know when my dad gets quiet it's time for the conversation to end and I needed to get going anyway and so I said uh, okay I, I gotta go and got in the car and just boy drive as fast as I can without getting a ticket of course all the way back home and about two or three hours in the car on the way home I got a call from my dad and my dad said to me I want you to know that I choose Jesus that if he learned obedience through suffering I welcome it I will too And I will welcome the suffering. I could barely see the road with the tears. But I didn't act like I was tearing up. I said, Dad, I'm going to pray for you. And you're right. You've done the right thing. Made the right decision. And he did all the rest of his life. He was in pain. He saw it as a moment in his life to be strong and learn obedience. It's not the answer to every bit of pain, but it is part of the answer. In these moments of pain and suffering, God is growing me. There is a greater purpose. Number three, God allows pain to show us that we need a rescuer. Christian philosopher Peter Kreeft, or Kreeft, I don't know which way to go on that pronunciation, said this, what is the meaning and purpose of suffering in history? The meaning and purpose of suffering in history is that it leads to repentance. Only after suffering, only after disaster did Israel, do nations, do individuals turn back to God? Suffering sometimes sometimes brings repentance. C.S. Lewis, brilliant, amazingly brilliant. C.S. Lewis made this statement. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasure. He speaks to us in our conscience, but He shouts to us in our pain. He shouts to us when we are going through pain. Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. When everything is easy and sunny, it, we don't, we don't, sometimes we don't even pay attention to God. But when it is crumbling around us, oh God, please help me. Oh God, oh God, I'm coming to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 says, For God sometimes, doesn't say all the time, sometimes, God sometimes uses sorrow in our lives to help us turn away from sin and seek eternal life. And we should, we should never... We should never regret His sending it. Johnny Erickson Tata, we recognize the name, many of you do. When she was 17 years of age, she dove into the Chesapeake Bay, whether it was rocks, I don't remember, or stumps, whatever it was, but she hit her head and she's been paralyzed ever since at 17 paralyzed, and she is now 68 years old. It's been 51 years, and in a wheelchair, paralyzed from the neck down ever since. But she came to faith in Christ through this moment, and then she became a powerhouse in America. She is one of the powerhouses of Christianity in America. And I don't know that that would have happened in in any other way. But here's her statement, she says, I would rather be in this wheelchair knowing God than on my feet without God. Here's the fourth reason. God allows injustice for only a season. The classic argument that we all learned in college, I did, in philosophy is this, if if God is all-powerful, He could destroy evil, and if God is all good, He would destroy evil. But evil is not destroyed, therefore there is no such God." This is one of the classic arguments against the existence of God, but the person who makes it is forgetting. That though God has not alleviated evil yet, does not mean He will never alleviate evil. And second of all, forgetting that God may have a greater good for now for that evil. What the Bible actually teaches is this. Since God is all-powerful, He can defeat evil. And since God is all-good, He will defeat evil. Evil. Evil is not yet defeated because it now serves a greater purpose. What greater purpose? Freedom of choice, growing our character, pushing us toward God. And there are many more. We're not going through all of them, but there are many more. It has a greater good. And so in God's timing, evil can and will be defeated. That has happened for my parents. Both of them have gone to be with the Lord. They lived their life striving for God and now there is no evil where they are and one day there will be no evil if we know Christ is our Savior where we go. It will be done. So what is the answer of atheists about the issue of evil? I've never heard one good argument because the problem that atheists are in with the whole issue of evil is this. If a person is atheist, especially based upon a naturalistic argument, the naturalistic argument or Darwinian argument is the survival of the fittest, that the strong destroy the weak, that the strong wipe out the weak. And if the strong wipe out out the weak, there's no such thing as injustice, there is no such thing as good and, and evil, because it is just operating the way it should. That's the naturalistic conclusion to the Darwinian model of survival of the fittest. So how in the world could you call that injustice? You can't. There is not an answer. The only answer that atheists have is the answer of Christianity, of kindness, of love, of forgiveness, of helping the weak. And they have it because they've been raised in a country that, was, that is a Christian-based country, country, nation. Now let me pull all this together with this one illustration. Let's imagine that you are out in the forest, and you're walking out in the forest, and as you're walking out in the forest, you come upon a bear, and the bear has been caught in one of those ankle traps. You know what I'm talking about? Those spring-loaded traps, you step on it, it comes together, tied to, with, with, with a, a chain, and now this bear can't get away. And you come across this bear that is trapped, and you, you've got compassion for the bear. You want to release the bear, but you know you can't get close to that bear. That bear is mad. You get close to that bear, and uh, you're not going to be able to help him at all. And so you have a tranquilizing tranquilizer gun. Now, I don't know what you have a tranquilizer gun for. You're out in the woods, you, and you just happen to have a tranquilizer gun. I don't know why. Just go with me on the story, okay? It's part of the story. Just go with me. So you're walking in the out in the in the woods and you got this tranquilizer gun, and you and you see the bear, and now you shoot the bear with a tranquilizer. But the bear does not know that you're trying to help him. He sees you got a gun, you shoot the gun, you hit him, it hurts. And he is thinking to himself, how bad of a person are you? You see me in this situation, and now you're shooting me? Really? Really? He doesn't understand. Now he's growing very groggy. He's starting to go to sleep. He's it's it's kicking in, but it hadn't kicked in all the way. But now he can't do anything. He's lost his power. And he is, but he then sees, here you are, and you come up. Now, in order to get one of these traps off, you have to actually push it in to create more pain to release the spring, and then you pull it back out, and now you can release the spring. But the bear doesn't know this, and you push it in, and you create even more pain. Who are you? What an evil person you are. He doesn't understand, because there's a lot of difference between a bear and a person. But there's even more difference between a person and God. We don't get it. We don't understand. Why are you not doing this? Why, why are you not releasing me? Why are you not helping me? Why are you causing even more pain? We don't understand. And God says, I love you. But I know it doesn't feel like it. It doesn't seem like it. I know it. all I'm doing is creating more pain for you. And I know, But I'm trying to help you. And I need you. To know I love you. Even when you don't have enough external evidence to believe it. I want you to trust me. What we've talked about today doesn't answer every question, and I know it. But it does answer some. I'm going to ask you to open your heart. Let's pray. Father, We thank you for the truth of your word and the power of it and the helpfulness of it. And God, I pray you would move in hearts today. We're struggling with all of this issue. Oh, God, please help. Father, I pray that you would move in hearts to come and know you and respond to you.